are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Jake Madison from Locked On Pelicans. The New Orleans Pelicans come away with a decisive game four win against the Phoenix Suns behind another 30-point night from Brandon Ingram. Could the Pels be on their way to upsetting the number one seeded Phoenix Suns? Then we chat with Sean Coleman from Locked On Grizzlies as the Grizzlies find themselves 2-2 two and two in their series with the Minnesota Timberwolves. What are the Wolves doing to minimize John Morant's impact and how can the Grizzlies adjust ahead of their pivotal Game 5 in their series? Lastly, we touch base with David Locke from Locked on Jazz as the Jazz managed to eke out a victory and even the series against the Dallas Mavericks two games all despite Luka Doncic's 30-point performance in his return to action. Can Utah find a way to slow down the Mavericks offense? Now today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline, it's where the game starts. As always, appreciate you for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is none other than Jake Madison himself from Locked on Pelicans. You can follow him on Twitter at Nola Jake. Jake, what a game for from this exciting young New Orleans Pelicans team, you know, pretty much upsetting the Phoenix Suns here. I, I don't know about you, Jake, but there was this moment in the fourth quarter of this game where the Pels had the lead 88-83 and you maybe had this slight fear that there was there was maybe that possibility of like a young team kind of letting go of the rope a little bit and succumbing to the you know the veteran presence of this you know battle tested Phoenix Suns team and the complete opposite happened a 19 to 2 run to basically seal this game and put away the Phoenix Suns just absolutely astonishing what was going through your mind in that fourth quarter as the as the Pelicans were making their push to close this one out yeah, you know, it's interesting, right? It's different than games one and three where they had a lead going into the fourth quarter and then Chris Paul just became alive in both of those fourth quarters and slammed the door in their faces. So you could see that coming and you had to figure that New Orleans was at least going to be prepared for it in this game. And they were. They figured out what worked in the second half and then they rode that throughout the fourth and it frustrated Chris Paul all night long. You saw rookie Jose Alvarado rattling the point god in a way that I don't think I've ever seen him kind of rattling Rattled before turnovers, technical fouls called against him. Jose Alvarado even got one of those sneaky steals of his, which Chris Paul knows he does. And then it allowed Herb Jones to kind of be freed up and just end the, any offense for the Phoenix Suns. He was flying around, blocking three-point shots. Just a complete turnaround from what we've seen early on in the series in games one and games three when it was the Chris Paul show in the fourth. Absolutely. No, th those two rookies. I mean, I, honestly, Jake, I, I haven't seen Chris Paul this rattled in a playoff atmosphere since game six against the Houston Ever? Rockets back in his LA Clippers days. I mean, I'm thinking the collapse, you know, when the Rockets managed their three, one comeback, but, but yeah, this, this kind of rivals that it just very much deer in headlights. Look, he had two buckets early in this game in the first quarter and then was scoreless the rest of the game. That is so uncharacteristic, especially after the displays that we saw in the earlier games in this series with no Devin Booker closing out the Pelicans last game. Like this was not vintage point God material whatsoever, but, on the flip side, you know, on a positive note for the Pelicans, at least Brandon Ingram, you know, has taken his play to another level. First player in Pelicans history to score 30 plus in three consecutive games in the playoffs. 
are we seeing Ingram like unlock another, like the next level of his game? Yeah, I think so. You could see it early on in him in this one. He scored 11 points in the first quarter, and he just kind of had that look about him that he was not going to let this team lose. And beyond just his scoring, right, 30 points in this one, he was excellent. Being aggressive, attacking the basket, getting to his spots in mid-range where he's just basically automatic at this point. But he he played with a level of defensive intensity I don't think I've ever seen him play. That was easily the best defensive game he's ever had. He just felt like a different player in that one, trying to do anything anything he could to get this Pelicans team to a victory to even this series up and extend it. And he's been the best player for this team. You could argue that he's been the best player in the series at various points. And you're seeing him just kind of get into the biggest stage and rise to the challenge. This is his first time in the postseason. He never made it with the Lakers. He hadn't made it before with New Orleans. This is his first time in this type of experience. And he seems absolutely ready for it. Brandon Ingram just kind of, you know, feeding off of this like infectious level of defense that is coming out of his teammates, right? With Herb Jones, with the insane blocks that he's having, with just the the tenacious level of play that he has on that side of the court. Then you've got Jose Alvarado. These, these are guys that you can, you know, you can feed off of that level of energy. And it seems like Brandon Ingram has been able to do that and, and kind of tone his defense up another couple notches as well because of that. But another guy that was so impactful in this game, Jake, Jonas Valanciunas, who, you know, despite some, we'll call it minimal effectiveness in the middle games of this series came out swinging in a big way in this game for it. And he was a huge part. If, if not, maybe one of the, you know, possibly the MVP of this game, just because of that huge run. And and he was a big part of that, that heat check three pointer that went down and then smoothie King center went wild for it. It it was a big turning point in this game. Yeah. You know, he's been, at times quiet in this series, but he was arguably the MVP, as you said, of this game. I re- I really do think that. He had 11 points in the fourth quarter. Brandon Ingram didn't make a shot in the fourth quarter. It was kind of the Jonas Valanciunas show, really closing the door. And he's been a big part of why New Orleans has won the rebounding battle in every single game. And then you saw him bring it offensively in this one. They realized that he was just kind of bulldozing DeAndre Ayton down up, lowering his shoulder, backing him up, playing this old school kind of basketball. And it was effective, so they kept going to him he would get the ball kind of on the elbow and either back a guy down or just kind of turn pivot and be able to kind of rim run and score and you saw him be able to put those shots up and they had no answer for it and you saw Willie Green head coach make a couple of good adjustments in his rotations you had a guy like JaVale McGee who really hurt New Orleans in game three 11 points off the bench in that one he decided to make sure that when McGee was out there so was Valanciunas who really limited the effectiveness of that second unit for the Phoenix Suns he was massive in this one Brandon Ingram doesn't have 30 and play with that kind of level of defense it's an easy argument for why Valanciunas was the best game uh, best player in this game yeah, they had they had a, a very healthy two-man game working there for stretches of this one where they were both getting each other some really quality looks, some some great opportunities offensively, really feeding off of each other in this game. Now, Jake, as we're as we're kind of eyes ahead now to game five in this series, you know, one, just how can the Pelicans kind of carry this momentum, you know, into the next game in this series? And what changes, if any, are you hoping to see out of this squad now that it's down to being a best of three series? Yeah, look, there's still home court advantage for the Phoenix Suns. They're still a really good team. I I have a sneaking suspicion we might see Devin Booker in game five, too. So that's obviously going to be a concern for New Orleans. But they definitely figured out how to play Chris Paul. 
And I think if you can carry that going forward, particularly if there is no Devin Booker, that's going to open the door massively for New Orleans to be able to get this win. So Willie Green, after three games, finally got his rotations right. He'd made some key kind of errors early on in this series. They were pretty much dead on how you'd want to see them from him in this game. And if they can defend Chris Paul at that level, if he is going to be rattled by a guy like Jose Alvarado and to a lesser extent, Herb Jones, New Orleans have going to have a very good chance to try and advance in this one. That's kind of what I hope to see in game could the New Orleans Pelicans be on their way to upsetting the number one seeded Phoenix Suns of course you'll have us covered for all of that and more action over at Locked on Pelicans Jake appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me of course thanks for having me on Jackson coming up what are the Minnesota Timberwolves doing to minimize Ja Morant's impact for the Memphis Grizzlies what adjustments do the Grizzlies need to make moving forward to take control of this series against the T-Wolves but first a quick message from our friends over at Athletic Greens so what is Athletic Greens what is AG1 with one delicious scoop of AG1 you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole food source superfoods probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day right this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health your nervous system your immune system your energy recovery and focus all the things you should care about when it comes to AG1 there look there are tons of people out there who take some kind of multivitamin and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb AG1 is a small micro habit with a big benefit it's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself it's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself you're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance and to make it so simple, so easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your very first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash NBA network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA. As always, appreciate you making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. For your next listen, be sure to check out the Locked On Now podcast. Nightly recaps of every NBA game with analysis from our local experts. Free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now is Sean Coleman from Locked On Grizzlies, the Locked On host on the network that leads the network in wholesomeness per 36 minutes. Sean, this series now between the Grizzlies and Timberwolves knotted up two games apiece. We have to start with the, albeit we're going to call them officiating woes from game four. After the game, Taylor Jenkins going so far as to say he had never seen a more inconsistent and arrogantly officiated game, you know, saying that he could take whatever hit is coming his way, whatever fine. How difficult was it? for the Grizzlies to try and find any semblance of, of rhythm or flow in this game with the whistle being blown like every other play. And, and Jackson, first off, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to be with you. But uh, yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the officiating in this series has impacted both teams. You're looking at 210 total fouls that have been called, you know, and, and there's actually been 12 more fouls called on the Timberwolves than the Grizzlies, but the Grizzlies, just to be honest, the offensive upside of the Grizzlies when it comes to their top tier talent is not to the level that the Timberwolves is that that's a compliment to the Timberwolves more than it is, you know, an indictment on the Grizzlies. So the Grizzlies do have to get into that rhythm. And especially for players like a Jaron Jackson Jr., a DeAnthony Melton off the bench, even Dylan Brooks and others, that rhythm starts with being able to get in the flow of the offense early. And when you, you know, get those four or five, six possessions in a row you typically are used to, you're able to get in that groove. Well, when you're not able to do that, it's hard to do. 
But it's not just that it impacts the offense. It also impacts the defense. When you have so many fouls, I believe that each starter last night had two fouls by the end of the fourth quarter, you're not able to be as aggressive. You're not able to be as effective. You know, in your mind, you're thinking, what am I doing that's not going to get a foul called? And it it, it makes you less effective. And that obviously helped the Timberwolves by the ball movement to make 18 threes. So it, it, it's, it's a very unfortunate ripple effect. You know, last night it led to 15 extra free throw attempts, 12 extra free throws was the difference in the game. The refing wasn't the main reason that we lost, but the ripple effect from it does impact the Grizzlies in multiple ways on both ends of the court. And you just hope that it doesn't get to that level again this series. Speaking from a defensive standpoint, who has been the bigger headache matchup-wise so far in this series for the Grizzlies? Has it been Anthony Edwards or Carl Anthony Towns and why? I think that it certainly is Anthony Edwards. And and the reason why that is is because of the fact that even when the Grizzlies have been able to somewhat contain him, he still is making tough shots. I mean, in game one, we talk about the fact you don't want to have Steven Adams on an island against Anthony Edwards, but he still is winding up taking long twos but making them. I, I do think that Anthony Edwards is the tougher overall matchup to limit or contain. But the difference maker is Carl Anthony Towns. There is no shock that the two games that the Timberwolves have won this series so far is when they made 15 plus threes to couple with Carl Anthony Towns going for 30 or more. So at the end of the day, Anthony Edwards is the tougher matchup, the one that the Grizzlies are going to have to pay closer attention to, but they cannot let Carl Anthony Towns driving ability become a big factor either. Offensively, John Morant has, while he's been wheeling and dealing this series for certain, offensively just doesn't quite look like the John Morant that we've all kind of come to know and love at this point. And his offensive totals have just slowly dwindled as the series has gone on. Started off with 32 points, then 23, then 16, then just 11 points in this most recent game after the game said, He's just, he's not playing like jaw. He said he just doesn't have the same, you know, explosiveness, same lift, not playing above the rim, essentially. Has that been a, a part in part due to the Timberwolves defensive scheme on him? Or is that more so just because he's not at 100% right now physically, do you think? I'll make the case all season long that the team in the NBA that's done the best job of limiting John Morant is the Timberwolves. Four games during the season, regular season, he averaged 20 points per game, 40% shooting, three of 20 total from three. Four games so far in the playoffs, 20 and a half points per game, 40% shooting, 27% from three. That's the top layer. The Timberwolves guard him basically better than anybody in the NBA. But there's also the legs uh, of John Morant. He's coming off that knee injury that held him out for the last two weeks of the season. He's also got hit in the thigh, in the quad, what have you. I do think his legs just are a bit heavy right now. And so one big thing that's going to factor into games five and six, and I'm thankful for, is that one extra day of rest. We get two full days of rest between game five and game six. And I think that will let him at least get as close to jaw as he can be. But without a doubt, yes, the same spring, the same energy, the same explosiveness is certainly missing to go along with a team that guards him very well. Who has quietly, Sean, been maybe the X factor for the Grizzlies so far across these four games? And that could be that could be a positive X factor or a negative X factor, maybe potentially contributing to a couple of these losses as well. 
Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw a couple uh, out there. Uh, Brandon Clark obviously has been, you know, I'll actually, Brandon Clark's known, I'll actually go Tyus Jones. Uh, Tyus Jones has been a very, very solid contributor for the Grizzlies. You know, the Grizzlies since game one have really been able to match the Timberwolves when it comes to shooting the three. Obviously, Desmond Bain has been huge on that. He's made 19 of 39 over the past three games, but Tyus Jones, 7 of 11 himself, hitting big shots late in the game in game three to help us get the win. So in a positive light, it's actually been Tyus Jones. In a negative light, it's his bench backcourt mate in DeAnthony Melton, someone who's 3 of 18. But I will say this, I would not go away from Melton because he is a double whammy for Minnesota if he gets going. His shooting surges help the Grizzlies have another source from three. His ability to create turnovers really could play a factor in an aspect of this series that's really helping out the Grizzlies forcing Minnesota into a lot of turnovers. So Tyus Jones so far has been one of the more not talked about X factors compared to others. The Anthony Melton, though, I think will be a factor at some point in this series. With with the, the Grizzlies here, Sean, they've had a few different starting lineups across this series. They've had Steven Adams. They've had uh, they've had even Brandon Clark starting, you know, the second half of one of these games. They've had Kyle Anderson. They've had Xavier Tillman. They've tried a few different looks. And Taylor Jenkins just trying. What, what is he looking for with rotating these different guys into the starting lineup? What is he trying to find? And who do you think has fared best out of some of these different variations as, you know, the fifth starter for the Grizzlies? He's trying to find the right combination of intelligence and physicality, I feel. That's what you're getting when you've got a Kyle Anderson and, and, and Xavier Tillman guarding against um, uh, Carl Anthony Towns. Xavier Tillman could be the physical presence there to make it harder for Carl Anthony Towns to work or stay consistent throughout the game. And then, of course, Kyle Anderson has the intelligence, the intuition to be able to, you know, basically to hopefully outthink Carl Anthony Towns when it comes to playing defense. You've got Jaron helping out as well. But, of course, you don't want Jaron to stay on Carl Anthony Towns to avoid foul trouble. I think that with Taylor Jenkins, it's just throwing different looks at the combinations. We talk all the time about how teams in the playoffs want to throw different bodies at the per better perimeter scores in the league to keep them off balance. Well, for the Grizzlies right now, it's finding the among that trio or with Brandon Clark as well, what's the best combination to limit towns? And I think starting with the intelligence first of Kyle Anderson to kind of keep Carl Anthony Towns out of rhythm and then coming and frustrating him with physicality with Xavier Tillman since Steven Adams is not an option. I think that's the right combination, starting with Kyle and then uh, entering uh, and, uh, Xavier Tillman as time goes on. Sean, what do you view as the, the number one area of concern that the Grizzlies need to address heading into the all-important Game 5 of this series? Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. It absolutely is Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, we've got to be able to have it, you know, there are factors that are outside of our control. The Grizzlies cannot control whether the refs are going to make it more than a desired impact on the games or not. But Jaron Jackson Jr., for one, has to stay on the floor. For two, he has to stay composed. And for three, he's going to have to start finding a way to contribute offensively. Only 37% from the floor, especially with John Morant, who's a bit limited, but still is making an impact with his passing. Jaron's got to find some way to do it. Grabbing offensive rebounds, getting in the lane to balance out the three-point attack with twos, what have you. He's going to have to find some way outside of defense to contribute on offense. So it certainly is a point of concern so far. Will it get itself figured out? We have to hope so. But I do think that that is a, a huge area of you know opportunity for the Grizzlies, is that if Jaron Jackson Jr. can get going, that can really help us out. It's no coincidence his best game was coupled with the blowout for us in game two. 
Can the Grizzlies swing this series in their favor at home against the Timberwolves at FedEx Forum? Of course, Sean, you'll have us covered for all of this and more playoffs coverage over at Locked on Grizzlies. As always, appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Jackson, have a great one, sir. Coming up, the Utah Jazz were able to eke out a game four win despite Luka Doncic's return to the Dallas Mavericks lineup with a 30-point performance. Can the Utah Jazz find a way to slow down the Mavericks offense now that Luka has returned? But first, a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar, because when it comes to protein bars, you've got to check out Built Bar. They're the number one protein bar on the market available to you today. Best thing about Bilt Bar is every single bar, first off, is coated in 100% delicious chocolate. They're not gritty or chalky like other protein bars out there. And they have so many amazing flavors to choose from. Raspberry, strawberry, mint brownie, peanut butter, salted caramel, cookies and cream. You name it, they probably got it as a flavor. So many great ones to choose from. Every single bar is low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. Amazing if you're on a keto diet. Amazing if you're trying to cut back a little bit, maybe lose a little bit of weight. You can check them out. Just go to built.com and use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your very next order of the best-tasting protein bars on the market. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. And final segment here at Locked On NBA. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is, of course, our fearless leader, David Locke, host of the Locked On Jazz podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at DLock09. Now, David, the Jazz evening the series two games apiece in a decisive game four, coming down to the wire off of a you know final possession, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, game-winning bucket. Just in the return of Luka Doncic, though, in this game four, how were the Jazz able to withstand the 30-point, the 10-rebound performance in Luka's return to action and able to eke out the win evening this, this series two games apiece? Well, first off, on behalf of every Utah Jazz fan who's on Twitter, I do not approve of the shirt over your right shoulder. <laughs> the Vernon Maxwell uh, hate toward Utah must be recognized in this conversation. Um, so, first off, the Jazz just played a lot harder. Led by Boyan Bogdanovich, who picked up 94 feet. According to the post-game conversations, they had decided to make the defensive switch, which was Boyan guarding Brunson and Boyan guarding Doncic. But they, Boyan did not tell his teammates that he planned to pick up at 94 feet. And that set a tone for them that if he was going to go that hard, they all had to. And frankly, that's a great read by Boyan, who's this very quiet, stoic all black clad wearing uh, kind of, you know, European who very rarely changes effect at all until he launches like the largest fist pumps of anyone in the NBA when he buries a big shot. And so for him to come through and kind of bring that tenacity, I think changed the feeling of the jazz throughout the whole game. The other thing is that when the Mavericks made their run, um, they really withstood it well. They they handled it very very well. They they made the, then made the plays late. They frankly were seemed dead to rights when Luca hit a three late, um, and then everything went their way. But when everything went their way, they took advantage of every step of it. Now throughout the playoffs so far, David, the Jazz the Jazz were the number ten defense in the association throughout the regular season. They've slipped a bit. They allowed 110 points per possession. Uh, throughout the regular season, but here in the playoffs so far, 117.6 points per possession. That's good enough for a bottom five defense here so far in the playoffs. How much of Utah's defensive Wait, somebody's defense has been worse? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Wow. I mean, only only a handful of teams. It's not that many, but a few. How much of the struggles so far in the playoffs that the Jazz are facing have to do with what they're doing 
you know, possibly wrong versus what the Mavericks are exploiting and doing well offensively? So I think there's a misnomer about the Mavericks. I mean, they're 18 and five since they added Spencer Dinwiddie and then Jalen Brunson's in the 93rd or 4th percentile in pick and roll and about the 70th percentile in isolation and really just incredible footwork. You know, some of the best footwork I've ever seen in the paint. Spencer Dinwiddie's a 90% isolation player, though he's not having a particularly good series. So while they were without Luka, it was the guys that were doing what they were doing were good at it. And then they just changed the way they played. They they ran about they regularly run 20 isolations a game. They're running 35. And, and the Jazz don't have guys who can guard on the perimeter. I mean, they just don't have anyone who can. And so they just were getting downhill on the Jazz. And then when Rudy Gobert came to help, then they were kicking out and the Jazz rotations um, weren't as good. And the other thing is that the Mavericks, who had the slowest pace of play, were playing in transition a great deal. And they got a bunch of threes in transition. Simultaneously, the Mavericks deserve a huge amount of credit for just completely taking the Jazz out of what they do. The Jazz were not shooting threes. They were not getting out in the open court. They were not doing any of the things that they do on the offensive end either. And I think that took away, and they got very kind of one-dimensional and one-on-one, almost selfish play. And I think that had a negative impact on them defensively. But the bottom line is that Mike Conley is having a really hard time guarding Jalen Brunson. Like, that's just not a matchup that's good for the Jazz right now. Um, And they didn't run it as much when Luka Doncic was on the floor. So far this series, David, Donovan Mitchell is putting up some some really solid numbers. He's had three 30-point performances, the most recent one, a 23-point outing. But the efficiency has just not really been there so far. Are you okay with the looks that he's getting to this point in the series, or would you rather see him be a bit more selective about his shot profile moving forward in these, these next few games? The Jazz, who used to throw 300 passes a game, threw 225 passes in game two of this series. They really stopped with ball movement. Um, I haven't looked at the number for game four yet. I would guess it's back up to watching that game to about 265, 270 um, on the amount of passes. I could be wrong. Sometimes that number really surprises you on how few it actually was. But I think the Jazz just need the ball to move a little bit more. I actually think if you isolate every single one of Donovan Mitchell's shots, you'd say, oh, that's actually a pretty good shot. Oh, that's a pretty good shot. That's But the problem with it is too many of those shots are coming without any ball movement. And this team needs to have more ball movement to be successful than what it's been having. On the other side of the Utah Jazz backcourt, Mike Conley, his play through this series, I'm just going to say it, it's been rough, to, to put it lightly. What's been the biggest issue that you're seeing with him specifically in this series? Does it kind of go back to the same point you just made about the, the lack of ball movement and continuity within the Jazz's offense? So, I mean, I think, you know, matchups are all different in different ways, right? In some weird way, if the Jazz were playing the Warriors, we probably wouldn't be saying this about Mike Conley. Steph Curry and Clay Thompson aren't going to put their head down and just drive on him isolation the way Jalen Brunson is and that's a very very difficult matchup I think Brunson was seven of nine in the regular season I think he's about nine of 13 shooting when guarded by um, Mike in the playoffs I don't don't have the updated numbers for this for after game four yet Um, but he so defensively it's just a really really hard matchup for him and then offensively they're switching everything and he is the number one off the bounce three-point shooter in the NBA and those looks aren't available if people are aggressively switching so sometimes in playoff series Um, you can make a lot of mistakes, both good and bad, in your analysis of players. Ask Isaiah Thomas, who signed Jerome James after one good playoff series when he was a GM. So with with that, David, looking at kind of how we've gone through these first four games of the series, who to you is is maybe the the unsung hero for the Jazz so far in this series? No question, it's Boyan Bogdanovich. What Boyan Bogdanovich did in that um, really – 
the way he played that game uh, for and brought the tenacity and brought the crowd back into it, he's unquestionably the guy that changed the way this this uh, series feels. We've got game five on the horizon between these two teams, and it's going to be a, a kind of a pivotal game five, as, as most game fives are when the season is tied up, you know, two games apiece. What are some of your keys moving into this, you know, very, very important game five for the Utah Jazz? Well, I mean, first is tenacity. The Jazz just didn't play particularly well in game two or play particularly hard. So do they have energy? You know, we're playing three games in five nights all of a sudden in this series in three different cities. You know, or, you know, in three non-consecutive cities, I think fatigue is actually going to be a large part of this. I don't know how that's going to impact things. Is Luka fatigued on his second game back? That's always the hardest for players. Dinwiddie and Bullock lead the league in minutes played. That's always hard. But Donovan's been much better with rest than not rest this year. Um, So I think there's a fatigue factor that plays in this game that early on is worth keeping an eye on. Um, Then I think the ball movement, the things I've talked about, ball movement and just overall effort by the Jazz are going to be vital. And and then the final one is, is anyone just going to have a game? And maybe Jordan Clarkson had it the other day. But in a seven-game series, there's usually one or two games, and, and Maxi Kleba might have been the guy who had that game for, for Dallas in game two, where somebody just has a game, and you're like, okay, well, that just happens. The Jazz, if they're going to win this series, needs somebody to have a game. Can the Utah Jazz take control of the series with a crucial win here in Game 5? Of course, you'll have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Jazz. David, appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Thanks, Jackson. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, appreciate you for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. Also, be sure to check out the Locked On NBA YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA, like, comment, subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA. The biggest stories with the local experts.